The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. One of the uh, positive stories that's gone on this weekend is the story of Phil Mickelson, the golfer. Mickelson. Phil Mickelson. That doesn't come out real easy. (laughs) Phil has been the runner-up several times to the U.S. Open. And one of his golf goals, his vocational goals, is to win the U.S. Open. It's the only major he hasn't won. And this year, his daughter was graduating the night before it started, and he chose to be at graduation and withdrew from the U.S. Open to be with his daughter without regret but with great delight. Good example of a father. We hear so many negative ones, it's good every once in a while to see a good one. So, yay, Phil. <laughs> may, your, may your tribe increase and may you win the U.S. Open next year. Yeah. Unless Jordan Spieth is player. <laughs> okay. He already stole my text, but I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 3. Turn there with me in your scripture or punch in wherever you punch in, however you get there, or just look up on the screen. You have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to get it. There's so many ways of seeing it. But this is the, this is the text a prayer of Paul as he prays for the, the believers. And I'll just take the first part of it. For this reason, this verse 3, 14, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family are, as the translation Hugh used says, fatherhood, all fatherhood. And heaven and earth is named. There are those who would say that the Christian's concept of God as Father is a projection. It is our projection on God from the fact that we have fathers on the earth, and it is one of it came out of human imagination. This scripture contradicts that. All earthly fathers Every concept of Father comes from the Eternal Father. It came from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. Uh, uh, Go backwards in your New Testament to the uh, 14th chapter of John. And this is Jesus in his last discourse with his disciples. And he's telling them what's about to happen to him and to them and what is the essence of what he's been about. John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long, but with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. He goes on, but that gives us the, the clue. Fatherhood. It's, uh, it's important. Sociologists, psychologists, many are begrudgingly, but are having to admit that probably the father wound is the most devastating scar emotionally that a person can endure. One of the evidences that it is so deep and so important is there are people who, when you talk about God as Father, get very upset emotionally. I've actually had women, or one woman actually, to get up and run out of the building. And then later I talked to her and she said, I, j I just couldn't handle it. My earthly father was so abusive, so bad, that for you to refer to God as Father just was blasphemous to me and I couldn't handle the pain. Well, there are a lot of people who react negatively to saying God is a father because they have a concept of a father that's been perverted and distorted. But that should show you how important the concept of father really is. For it to cause that much pain, it must be really, really important. So we could talk about the family and how important earthly fathers are, and, and, and we'd be doing good. But, but I want to talk to you about something that is deeper, greater, and makes all earthly fathers possible. I want to talk to you about the fatherhood of God. J.I. Packer, who wrote a classic book called Knowing God, a book, by the way, I used to use in all of my discipleship groups when I was discipling men. J.I. Packer is one of the bright evangelical minds of the 20th century and part of the 21st. He says that the definition of a Christian is one who has God as his father.
he also says, you can sum up the New Testament in one simple phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. Father is the Christian name for God. If you don't know God as Father, then there's not much chance that your joy level is going to be high. It is the it's the story of the Bible. God created, God being before creation, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God created Adam and Eve as his first son. God related to Adam and Eve as a father relates to a son. There are three aspects of that, that if you're a note taker or maybe mental note taker, uh, that's always included in a father-son relationship. First of all, presence is important. God made Adam and Eve to be able to be conscious of his presence. They walked and talked with God. They lived in the presence of God. In fact, men, mankind, humans were not made to live outside the presence of God. If you live outside the presence of God, you are living contrary to design. Life works best. Actually, it works only in the presence of God. A few days ago, uh, our one of our grandsons, who's four, about or four, three, they got four four grandsons, and all of them bunched together. So, one one of one of the bunch. <laughs> he had he had done some scripture memory, and uh, Grams was going to take him to the toy store and uh, get him a, a toy. So he called me on the phone to tell me that he was going to go get a toy and he quoted his scripture for me and I was uh, uh, bragging on him but I said but uh, Fowler it's Father's Day weekend and maybe you should get me a toy when you go to the store he said Papa today is Fowler's Day Not Father's Day, Fowler's Day. <laughs> well, he and Grams went to the store and he picked out a toy and he brought it. And it happened to be a battery-powered speedboat. I don't think he knew that was what it was when he got it, but whatever. He gets it and, of course, Papa's got to put it together and get all the batteries in the right place with the remote control and whatever. So we did, and it has little propellers that would, when you got the remote, it'd turn them on and they spin and whatever. And he wanted it to run across the floor. And I said, Fowler, it wasn't made for the floor. It'll only work in water. Human life only works in the presence of God. That's what being a son, 
At least that's part of what being a son means. It means that when God treats you as a son, you get to live in his presence. What did he say to the disciples? I'm going to prepare a place for you in the Father. I will come again that wherever I am, you are there. We are always together. Presence. Provision. Sons provided. He talked about going to his father's house and drinking his coffee. It, it's your coffee. It's provision. Uh, God made sure that Adam and Eve knew that it, everything they needed was there. They, there were trees all over the garden, and, and all of them had fruit on them, and there, there was a whole lot more than they could eat. I mean, it was abundant provision. There was no taste bud they had that they didn't have a fruit that corresponded to it. God made provision. Jesus later on, as the ultimate son, says, if you being evil fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, will not the heavenly father give all things? One gospel writer says, the other gospel writer says, says will not the father give you the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Holy Spirit makes all good things real. Yeah. Will, if he asks for bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will he give him a snake? Of course not. Because being a son of the Father means you get to enjoy the Father's provision. By the way, he loves you enough as a father that he's really careful about the provision he gives you because he doesn't want you to have so much that it distracts you from enjoying him as a father. He doesn't want you to have so much that you quit trusting him as a father because it's the trust that he likes, not just your success. That's worth marking down. Third, third thing, partnership. Often left out. God made Adam and Eve to be his partners on the earth. Think about it this way. God has chosen to link the success of his purpose and pleasure to his sons. God has chosen not to do anything on the earth in the way of Fulfilling his purpose, creating a redeeming thing. He does everything through his sons. God could have come down in the middle of uh, any time in history and just went zoop and everything would have been fixed. But he chose always to work through his sons. He still is today. You, you want to see God move on the earth? Guess where he's going to move? Through his sons. So... We have the meaning and, and uh, dignity of being partners with God. He's connected, as I said, his purpose and his pleasure to us. So God created Adam and Eve as his first son. And by the way, son here is not used in a biological preference sense. It's used in a status sense. But both Adam and Eve were sons. Adam and Eve as a unit were a son. So ladies, don't, don't get upset here. So, so Adam and Eve chose not to trust him, but to listen to lies about the nature of God. And they, the serpent insinuated that he was not a good father that had their best interest at heart. And so they chose against him and they, and then sin entered into the world. And entering with sin came the orphan perspective. Because Adam and Eve were then ejected from the garden and they live life from a perspective of having been designed to live with the Father in the garden. 
They were now living outside of the garden, trying and wishing to get in. That's an orphan perspective. It got in the whole human system and has been there ever since. So God chooses later on another son. He chooses Israel. Well, first he chose Abraham and made a promise to him that he would have a son who would be the seed that fixed the problem that Adam and Eve created. The descendants of Abraham, since he was the father of Isaac, and then Isaac's progeny wound up in Egypt because they were trying to survive a famine. And they lived there 400 years and became slaves under the under the Pharaoh of Egypt, and they were treated harshly. And so God, as Father, delivered them from the Egyptian bondage, bringing them through the Red Sea, feeding them with manna, fighting their battles for them, but making them partners with Him in taking the land that He intended for them to have. And so we see God treating Israel as a father treats a son. And, but Israel had the problem that Adam and Eve introduced, and that is they still had an orphan mentality. You see, they were more fixated on the benefits than they were the relationship. And so when there were other gods that offered more obvious and more immediate benefits to them, they were disloyal to God and began to serve other gods. They did not see God as the Father. They saw Him more as a moral policeman. And so they were trying to be good in order to deserve some things, or when they were bad, they were trying to hide it. They tried to get around it. And as long as you have an orphan perspective, you will see God in some way as a moral policeman, and your goal in life will be to be good or not get caught being bad. Whereas a son has one goal, and that is to be loved of the Father, to enjoy the Father, and to partner with the Father in carrying out His purpose on the earth. So, so Israel wound up being seduced by the benefits and the symbols of other gods that weren't fathers. So finally, the third son comes on the scene. Jesus is God's eternal son. He became flesh because God has tied his purpose and his pleasure into his earthly son. So Jesus had to become flesh so that God would work through humans to do what he intends to do. That's his plan. So Jesus came and in his coming he revealed both how a son relates to a father and the father's nature. He said to Thomas and to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. You've seen how a son relates to a father, and you've seen the very nature of the father. So Jesus reveals to us the father and makes it possible for us to get to the father. And because of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, 
By the way, he became the ultimate orphan being crucified outside the gates of the city and outside the family. He was, he was crucified as an outsider so that we could be brought inside and made sons of God in the house. So you reveal the Father and then made it possible for us to know the Father so that we could be called the sons of God. That we could be aware of His presence. Are you familiar with the tactic of the enemy to create illusions of separation? Christians can sometimes feel separated from God. We'll even misinterpret scriptures and we'll say, well, it's my sins of separated from God. I've sinned, so I've separated from God. That's not what that scripture is talking about. You see, in Christ, we cannot be separated from God because Christ is in the Father and the Father is in Him and we're in Him and therefore we're in the Father. And regardless of how you're feeling on any day, separation is not your problem. (laughs) Believing a lie about it could be. And so the enemy now works with illusion. He, he is the illusionist. And so he creates the sensation of separation when in fact you are God's son, not based on your sin or your righteousness, but based on Jesus' payment for your sin and his eternal righteousness. And so you get to live in the presence of God you get to live in you get to live with contentment in daily provisions contentment with daily provisions uh, you i've been young and now i'm old i've never seen the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread god has promised to his sons that he'll he'll provide for you to accomplish the assignment that he gave to you jesus didn't own much the way the world defines ownership but he had access to everything the father had. If he needed a donkey to ride into the city, there was one available. If he needed a tomb to spend the weekend in, there was one available. Because he was a son, he didn't fret about his provision. And sons not only are aware of his presence and content with his provision, but they're engaged in the process of displacing the old with the new. They are the first fruits of a new creation. When Jesus walked out of the tomb that day, he began a whole new creation. And those of us who are sons with him are the agents of that new creation. And so we are to walk through the earth proclaiming the inauguration, the launching of the new kingdom, working with him, empowered by his spirit until he culminates things all together. Now, in conclusion, your joy today and for the rest of your life is relative to your consciousness of being God's son. If you'll read all through the discourse that we started in John 14, 
Jesus kept saying things like, I say these things to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. What, what's, what's the condition there? That you know what it means to be a son of God. What was Jesus' joy? He was the son of the father. He lived for the father's glory. He knew the father's protection. So he said, I want you to have my joy. To the degree that you are aware of being a son of God, to that degree your joy will be manifest. Secondly, when you know the Father, the way Jesus has made it possible to know him, you will recognize fatherhood in many others. Remember Peter said, Lord, we've left everything and followed you. We've left fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and houses and land and everything. What, what are we going to get out of it? Jesus said, I'll multiply everything by a hundred. Have a hundred fathers, a hundred mothers. And yet one of the sad things I've noticed is that there are a lot of boys and girls walking around in the midst of fathers. They can't recognize them. You won't see fatherhood in others until you know the Father. But when the Spirit of God has created in you that, that orphan spirit is gone and you are a son and you're crying, Abba, Father, you'll recognize fathers and others. You'll look at Pastor Terry and go, there's a father. You'll look at others and say, there is a father. And in that way, the Father becomes incarnate for you, and they're all around. You say, so what am I supposed to do today, Dudley? What am I supposed to do in response to this message? To repent this morning means that you would be willing to give up those defenses that you've developed as an orphan thinker that have protected you, and you're willing to be known only by this dynamic. I am loved by the Father. If you've got to have some other title, some other thing, you're still an orphan. You're still trying to get there. But a son is content to live this way. Who are you? I'm loved by the Father. Jesus said to his disciples, if you abide in me, I abide in you. Abide in me as I abide in my Father. The way I abide in my Father is I abide in his love. If you abide in my love the same way, your sons. If all you know is that you're loved by a Father, that's enough. If you don't know that, there's not enough to know. Would you be honest before God this morning and say, you know what, Dudley? I'm more an orphan than I am a son. I think more like an orphan than I do a son. And I want to give it up. Whatever defenses, defense mechanisms that I have in my life that's keeping me from knowing God as Father, I want that done with. And I choose to believe Him.
If that's you, and I'm not asking for the whole congregation to stand, but if that's you, I'd like to pray for you and God will answer my prayer because I'm going to pray in his will. If that's you and you would like to make this day the day that you make that confession, stand up and I'll pray for you. So I come to you, Father, in your name, from whom every concept of fatherhood in heaven and earth gets its, gets its start. I pray that today, according to your will and your great desire, that you would grant to all of these the spirit of adoption that's crying from their innermost being, God is my intimate Father. We recognize the orphan spirit and the evidence of orphanity in our lives, and we cast it away as we would dirty clothes, useless tools. We take away the hard shell of defensiveness. We throw away our own efforts at trying to get back into your graces or into your garden, and we accept today that you love us as much as you love the eternal son with a complete perfect unconditional love and I thank you spirit of God for making this true in our life for that is what delights you and I thank you in Jesus name amen Uh, I hope you enjoyed that presentation Isn't it wonderful to know that we can live now, this side of heaven, we can live knowing that we are loved by Almighty God. He loves us as a father loves a son. All the love that the Father, eternal Father, has for the eternal Son, Jesus, he has for us. What better resume can you have than I am loved by my Father? I hope you'll make application of this to your life. And you'll live as a son. You'll you'll like it. Your joy is connected to it. I want to pray for you as I prayed for the people there in, in that live setting. So I want to pray for you. Father, I pray that you would take the truth of these words that have been spoken, the truth of your invitation to us to be your sons. You would take this word and make it real in every person's life. I know that you long for that. That is your delight to know us as sons and for us to know you as father. Make it true in every person's life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I've enjoyed being with you. This is Dudley Hall with Kerygma Ventures. I'll see you next month. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. Dot com.